Private Lender Podcast, Episode 27. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, who said, Many people take no care of their money till they come nearly to the end of it, and others do just the same with their time. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, episode 27. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and thank you for joining me today and sharing with me your most precious and valuable asset, that is your time. Today, another solo cast about one of the most frequent questions I receive when I meet with other people at RIA, or, uh, RIA meetings or other events, and that is, how much money do I need to become a private lender, or how much money do I need to go ahead and get started? And the answer is, not as much as you think. But before we get into that answer, let's go ahead and thank our sponsors. The Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by the following. The Realty Investment Community of Houston, or Rich Club, is the premier real estate association in Southeast Texas. The Rich Club provides its members with the education, resources, leads, and networking they need to earn more wealth with their real estate investments. The Rich Club has helped thousands of real estate investors realize their full potential, and they are ready to help you. Visit their website at richclub.org for more details. That's richclub.org. 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking with Landon Rothstein and Ray Sasser. Come out and experience one of the fastest growing meetups of real estate investors. Visit privatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors for more information regarding 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking Meetup. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back. And please go to privatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors and show some love and support. Okay, so episode 27. How much money does one need to become a private lender? I know a lot of people are probably thinking, I get a lot, uh, when I interact, I get a lot. I don't have a big IRA or I I don't have a 401k that I can roll over. You know, I've worked at the same company for 10, 15 20 years and I, I can't get that money out. I don't have any other you know real savings to facilitate private lending. So if if you're in that little boat of you've worked at one company for your pretty much your entire career, then, well, God bless you because that, that's, that's rare, number one. Number two, ask your HR administrator, whoever handles your 401k, whether or not you're allowed to take an in-service distribution. Very few companies allow this, but some do. And oftentimes it has to be set up when the program is set up. I don't, I'm not quite sure if you can retroactively change this, but I know companies such as Verizon, for example, is one that does allow in-service distribution. So if you're an employee of Verizon, you can take out money from your 401k, roll it over into an IRA while you're still employed. That's my understanding, but confirm that. Unfortunately, most of the companies that I've worked for do not allow in-service distribution. So I've had to leave. And that's how I was able to build up my uh, self-directed IRA is with those 401ks. And that's what has uh, facilitated me and my lending uh, primarily, most of it, some cash, but most of it's through the IRA. So check that out 
in-service distributions, see if those are allowed. But if you don't have a large sum of cash or you didn't inherit any cash or if you're damn near broke, don't let that discourage you. A small amount of money shouldn't prevent you from becoming active and involved and to get the, the ball rolling into being a private lender. Now, obviously, the more money you have to lend, the larger your pool of options and projects is going to be. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's almost self-explanatory. But everybody has to start somewhere. And so this is how I like to look at things here. So depending on where you get your research or where you look on the, on the World Wide Web, because it's all true if it's on the web, right? But the median house value in America is somewhere between $190,000 and $215,000. So for easy math, let's just say that the median house value or house price in America is $200,000. Now, obviously, depending on what part of the country you live in, this is going to differ significantly uh, one way or the other. So, for example, $200,000 in California, Florida, or New York will probably get you you know, a very tiny efficiency apartment or condo with a community bathroom <laughs> or um, it could, who knows? It could. But if you're in middle America, say the Midwest or Texas, $200,000 might not always, but it might just get you into a house. That's probably 2000 square feet or more. And in a decent neighborhood, you know, not a war zone for sure. So this would one would lead one to believe that, you know, I'm, I'm going to need 200 grand to get started and I can't do anything until I get that that 200 grand. Not true. Not true. I'm going to go over two examples of how I made very small loans to investors. And the benefit, the return of investment was stellar, not just in the interest rate and not just in points, but why you should get started. Even with a small amount of money, you're going to have to put some work forward. forward. You're going to have to do some work. Like if this was easy, everybody would do it and it'd be no need for a podcast, uh, you know, this podcast trying to keep you safe and teach people how to do it. But I've made loans for as little as $5,000, $15,000 that were first position liens on properties that my wife would never, never, never live in. They look like houses that I lived in when I was in college and, and just out of college. But these were profitable nonetheless. So the first loan was on a house in Beaumont, east side of Houston, heavy industrial area, ports, terminals, petrochem, oil. It was a house that was abandoned and needed a lot of work. Uh, the bones, the structure of the house was good. Uh, and the seller lived out of state. It was a son who had inherited the house from his parents. He had long moved on from Texas, from the Beaumont area, uh, lived far up north, and didn't really want anything to do with this house is the house he was born in kind of raised in and could care less about it. He owed about $5,000 in back taxes to the, the County. And he was tired of paying the city of Beaumont for uh, the citations that they would issue to him because they would, uh, the grass would get so high that uh, the city would go and cut it and to make it, you know, look somewhat reasonable and have some type of curb appeal. And he just wanted to get rid of it. So, the investor in this case had done his marketing, contacted this, this seller, prospective seller, and this in particular investor specialized in owner financing properties to people who weren't bankable or mortgageable, so to speak. So this was his niche. He, he looked for these types of houses that didn't require a whole lot, and he'd sell them to somebody with owner finance who could fix up the property to themselves. And this is very attractive to people who aren't mortgageable or people who have really crappy credit. So... This particular house was worth, it, it, it's as is value was about ten or $15,000. And 
as it was if if it went to auction it, it wasn't a good uh you know it wasn't a good property ARV if everything was all fixed up and and ready to go this house could probably get the comps were supporting 40 to $50,000. But it wasn't in a neighborhood where you'd want to go in and put granite countertops or double crown molding or, or, or these things or, you know, jacuzzi tubs. But you could get a solid $50,000 working class neighborhood for this house. But I looked at it at the ten to 15000 as is value. So this $5,000 was what the the seller had agreed to sell to the investor. It represented an LTV or loan to value of anywhere between 33 and 50% which is well below my threshold of 70%. So I agreed to loan the purchase price and I even got conned, not conned, but I I was sold. I was talked into putting up the closing costs as well. So the total loan was uh, $6,200 at 8% for three years, holding a first position lien. That transaction closed. The buyer then turned around and sold the house with owner financing for $33,000 and 3,000 down. The loan was paid as agreed, and there was an added benefit, an added return on investment that I'll speak to in just a few minutes. But it was a successful loan, only $5,000. I did make that out of my self-directed IRA. It was one of the first loans that I had made, and it was uh, successful. And it wasn't a whole lot of money. Five grand is, especially when it comes to buying houses, is not a whole lot of money. The second loan I want to talk to you about today was for only $15,000. The house was owned free and clear by an investor who was using the house as a rental property, a cash flow property. He was renting the house out. It was, in a, it was a small house in a, in a bit of a rough, but it was a stable neighborhood. Again, a good rental market in that there was you know, virtually no significant appreciation through the years, but it was steady cash flow near the, uh, an, another industrial area near the ship channel of Houston. And this house, the, the tenant had moved out just before Harvey. Their lease, uh, I believe it was a two-year lease they had. They decided to move on. And I, I want to say they were packing up and moving out as planned, but then Harvey just happened to start raining on it as they were finishing up. So th- they got lucky there, uh, good for the tenants. Uh, but the as-is value of the house at that time, uh, after Harvey came through and flooded, uh, was about uh, $70,000. Now, Harvey didn't, it wasn't four feet of water, just a couple of inches, but enough to get the drywall, the flooring, and some of the insulation. So after the after flooded value, <laughs> the AFV, uh, which is something we've been kicking around here in the Houston area for the last year, was about $70,000, as is. And the after repaired value, the ARV, was in the low 100s. It could be 105 to 110. So this represented an LTV or loan to value of 13 to 20%. First position lead on an income-producing property that generally has a low vacancy. So this was pretty much a no-brainer to me, uh, but I still inspected the property myself. I, actually, I inspected both properties. I always go see and touch and smell all the properties that I like to loan on. I, well, I haven't always, but that's my rule now, and I always do. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that these properties weren't a complete complete mess, and this Harvey house wasn't. You know, It, it did take on some water. It was a pier and beam foundation, but... It wasn't. It was definitely salvageable, and and fifteen grand was uh, a good deal, especially post Harvey. Uh, but this particular investor had cousins that were in trades that you know could give discounts. I looked at the scope of work, agreed to it, and loaned the fifteen thousand dollars for six months at ten percent. But I I asked for two points up front, so that gave me an effective percentage rate of seven percent over the six months term of the loan. 
again, for the beginner and those who are just starting out, just got to have a few loans, remember that interest rate and the interest you earn is only part of the benefit of being a private lender. And I would suggest it shouldn't be your primary concern. So if you are completely new to this, this facet of investing, your primary concern should be building your network, which will in time equal your net worth. I know that's cliche and people say it all the time, but it's cliche for a reason because it's true. Your primary concern should be to surround yourself with successful investors with true proven track records and stellar reputations because a reputation takes a lifetime to earn and only a few minutes to demolish and burn. So look for those people with proven track records and stellar reputations. Both of these loans that I mentioned, the $5,000 and the $15,000. Oh, hold on. Let me, let me stop right there. The original loan was for $5,000. I agreed to loan 6200 I keep referring to that loan as the $5,000 loan because that was what I originally agreed to. I was comfortable with loaning that $5,000 to the to the investor. However, the loan became 6200, so perhaps I should say 6200, but this just goes to prove that you don't have to be good at math people to be a private lender. You just got to check your work. That's it. Okay. That's all I want to say. We'll get back into the <laughs> into the show. Both of these loans that I mentioned, the $5,000 and the $15,000 were first-time loans, the first time I had loaned to these particular investors. The benefit that I brought to the table was that I was able to close fast and help the investors facilitate their business and their deals. Both loans were paid as agreed, and I made money. I didn't get rich. I look, These loans did not allow me to go buy a Rolex or a Ferrari. Sorry, Randy, if you're listening. I know you like Ferraris. But the greatest benefit of these loans was that they provided me with exposure and put me in proximity to two heavy-hitting investors in the greater Houston area, Southeast Texas area. These loans represented just the beginning of relationships that I continue to nurture today. And the fruits of these relationships are as follows. Both of these investors call me frequently to loan on other projects that they're involved in. In fact, one of them, I'm pretty much the first call every time from this particular investor. Now, I don't loan all the time because I get tapped out or the particular property or the project doesn't fit my criteria. But just by making these previous loans, I get asked first. I'm almost first in line. I'm on the first position lender, so to speak, which is, which is nice. Another benefit was by making these loans, it paved my way into uh, joining a mastermind with Stephen Kaufman from episode one. He's the founder of, of, of Zeus Mortgage Bank. By being in that mastermind, that brought me even closer to other heavy-hitting investors, but not just multi, a single family, but multifamily and commercial investors. And, you know, I was able to meet them, swap business cards, and it gives me a bit of uh, – it gave me a sense of legitimacy to these people that I was a serious, serious lender. It also, these loans also introduced me to other potential borrowers and other people that I'm, you know, in, in contact with now and, and speaking about doing other business ventures. So other business partners, uh, these, these loans also helped to, to, to put me on uh, the board to get elected on the board of, uh, of a local RIA, which was a, a, an amazing uh, learning experience being on on the board and also gave me more again 
more exposure and more proximity to other investors. And it also helped me to acquire a ton of leather-bound books, which makes me kind of a big deal, like uh, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very cheesy Anchorman, uh, <laughs> Anchorman quote, but uh, you, whoever's listening, you know who that's for. So the, the point being in all this is, is don't let a small stack of cash deter you from, from getting out there and taking action. If it was easy, anybody could do it. And I look, there is no such thing as truly passive investing. Maybe there is, but I haven't found it. But everything takes work. And if you're not willing to put in the work, then you might as well stop listening to this podcast right now and unsubscribe. It doesn't take as much work as being a flipper, but it does take work. Building your network takes work. Building your net worth is going to take work. And this is just but one way you can do it. It's the way that I was able to get into these circles without having a ton of experience of landlording or, or flipping. And it puts me in touch with a lot of different people. So I, I would highly recommend to you right now, whether you have, even if you only have two grand, go find somebody who needs that two grand, right? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's for an air conditioner or, or uh, some type of repair, an emergency repair. If, if you're in close proximity to people and you can act fast, they're going to remember that. And that's going to start to build your reputation as a lender and as a serious player investor in the market. If you've got the 200000 to 300000 to half a millions, God bless you, first and foremost. But that's going to open up much greater, much greater opportunity for you. You can get into multifamily syndications or commercial syndications with a couple of hundred grand. Or you can get into more luxurious homes. Uh, I would be careful. Uh, let's. Luxurious homes are nice, but and they're beautiful. However, the more the value of a home, the higher the value of a home, the more finicky the end buyer is going to be. Number one, number two, you're going to have fewer people that are going to be able to afford that house. So your pool of potential buyers or your investors' pool. Let's say if they're a flipper or even a landlord. A nice hundred to two hundred thousand dollar home is a good breadbasket home. You get into the four, five, six hundred thousand, you don't have as many people that can qualify for those loans as you do for the houses between one hundred and two hundred thousand. So if you're going to go big in, in the luxury, I would just caution you: be careful because the, the holding costs of those homes are significantly high. Ten percent of a hundred thousand is ten is ten grand. 10% of 600,000 60,000. So if your hold your holding costs can really eat you up or eat your investors money up and which is your money. So just be careful. I'll do another episode on luxury homes in the future. But for the time being, the point of this show is just to get people to get it through your head, to change your mindset a little bit that you don't need a whole lot of money. You don't have a whole lot of options, so you have to pick and choose. But that's fine. Everyone has to start somewhere. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you found some value in it. I want to remind everybody that on August 25th and 26th, 2018, I'll be in Dallas at the Quest IRA, Self-Directed IRA Expo. I'll have a booth. Come on out and say hi. And if I highly recommend you go. It's going to be a great, great expo. I've seen the, the topics and who's speaking. 
there's going to be a ton of smart people and a ton of knowledge there. And if you go, when you register for your tickets, use the promo code Baker Expo for 25% off. That's right, 25% off. And I hope to see everybody there. And I have one favor to ask. Please, if you enjoy any part of this show or got any value, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and review. I would love a five-star review, but I, I honestly, just leave me an honest review. If you think I suck, tell me. That's fine. But please leave a rating and review. The more ratings and review this podcast gets, the higher up in the rankings it goes and the more people we can we can touch and educate and answer questions for. So that's the main goal is to spread the word as, as much as possible. All right. That's going to do it for me today, episode 27. I wish you a good week, healthy, happy, and prosperous investing. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.